what can I say? So used to saying good morning, and uh, it's evening. I'm half crazy, and so now that's verified. Had a buddy of mine one time, matter of fact, two buddies of mine. One was running a company, and they were going to Washington to meet regarding a safety council conference. And so my buddy who was running the company told a mutual friend of ours, he said, now listen, when we get, when we get to Washington and we sit down in these meetings, he said, Baker, do not say a word. He said, I'd much rather them think we're ignorant than you say something and validate it. And so, anyway, it is what it is. But we do appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for being back. We're so grateful for the opportunity to come together to worship God in spirit and truth. Tonight we're looking at Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And as we look at Ephesians chapter six, there's a lot of material here. We have been trying to go through key chapters in scripture, and we have looked at a number of passages over the course of this year. Hard to believe that we are now into August, and before you know it, the year will be over, and we'll have something new for next year. But tonight, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and the Apostle Paul, as we said before. In the first three chapters of this book, Paul emphasizes the relationship that we have to the Lord. The latter three chapters, however, he accentuates our responsibilities in the Lord. And so in chapter 6, Tonight, we're talking about some of our responsibilities in Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, our responsibilities in Christ. Now, as we begin our study tonight, I want to just share this. Many of us are busy. We have any number of responsibilities that weigh heavily upon us. We have accountability for those responsibilities, and for the most part, we seek to do our very best. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking about some very important responsibilities that we have as God's people. What stands out to me is it is an individual responsibility. I can't pull your load, nor can you pull my load. But rather, individually speaking, there are certain things that we must all take upon ourselves to fulfill in the Christian life. What I want to do, first of all, is talk about, talk about the affairs of a Christian. Now, in verses 1 through 9, Paul discusses some responsibilities resting upon those of us who belong to the family of God. In the first four verses, he talks about responsibilities in the home. In verses 5 through 9, we have responsibilities outside the home. And so I want to begin by, first of all, talking about those responsibilities that we have in the home. I want to begin by looking first at verse 4, because in verses 1 through 3, Paul emphasizes the responsibilities resting upon our young people. In verse 4, however, the responsibilities are directed toward those of us who are parents. And so in verse 4, listen to what Paul said, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As a parent, one of the priorities that we have before us is rearing our children in the Lord. 
we want to do our best to instill in them faith. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we bring these children into the world, we understand that we have the responsibility of molding and mentoring them after the will of God. You remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when Moses spoke to the children of Israel. God through Moses told the parents that they were to teach their children diligently. When they sat in their house, when they walked by the way, he said, when you lie down, when you rise up. God wanted the children of Israel to pass the faith that they had onto their offspring. We have that same responsibility, don't we? I think about Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you remember in the context of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul identifies three generations of people. He talks about the grandmother of Timothy, a woman by the name of Lois, and then the mother of Timothy, a lady by the name of Eunice. And then Paul said, speaking of Timothy, that he was a man of genuine faith. That was not by accident, was it? So we have to do our best to teach, to train, to mentor, to mold our children in the will of God. Now when it's all said and done, ultimately it falls upon the children to decide whether or not they're going to live according to the will of God. The old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I have no control over what my children do when they leave home, nor do you. So what we want to do is instill within, within them a foundation so that when they do leave home, they're equipped to handle the world before them. Now you remember the psalmist said in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So we have tremendous responsibility resting upon us. Now look at the landscape of our country today. And then take an introspective look or evaluation at the church. It comes as no surprise that by and large we are losing a large percentage of our young people to the world. Some have said nearly 80% of children leave the Lord, leave the church when they reach a certain age. Now I want to ask you a question as a parent. Will your children fall within that 80 percentile? Fifteen years from now, will your children be people of faith? And let me ask you, those of you that are young people. Fifteen years from now, will you be a faithful child of God? That responsibility rests upon you. I can't develop your faith. Your parents can't develop your faith. Jared can't. The responsibility is individual. Now, there are a lot of things going on in our world today. And I would be the first to admit that in many respects, the home is filled with chaos. And there are young folks today who have all kinds of troubles. And sometimes we want to talk about the children and the problems that they have in life. Listen, the problem in many respects is not the children. It's the parents. Parents have the responsibility of rearing their children in the Lord. Parents have the responsibility of commanding respect in the home. 
Parents have the responsibility of developing an understanding of respecting authoritative figures. So we look around in the world today and we see all the chaos and the problems and young folks that are having trouble. In many respects, they are but a reflection of their parents. And so as a parent, to understand that we have tremendous responsibility resting upon us. Now, I want to say this. I see the same faces here every Sunday night, just about. And I want you to know, to those of you who are parents, I applaud you for being here. I am grateful that you're here every time the doors are open. And I'm grateful for your influence and your desire to point your children in the direction of heaven. And I am thankful that we have a congregation of parents who are concerned about the welfare of their children. But there are a lot of folks in the world today, they have brought children into the world, but they offer little or no guidance. And so we're paying the price for that. You remember Hosea in the long ago, Hosea dealt with the problem of spiritual apathy in his day. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In chapter 8 and about verse 7, he said, They sow to the wind, they reap the whirlwind. The children of Israel, as spoken of in the book of Judges, you remember chapter 2? They were faithful during the days of Joshua. They were faithful during the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But the Bible says there arose another generation who knew not the Lord, nor yet the great works which He had done in Israel. How did that happen? There was a breakdown somewhere, wasn't there? And so to understand that as parents, we have grave responsibilities resting upon us. But now, what about children? Listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now listen to what he says. For this is right. Now look, as a parent, we talk to our children and we show them what's right and wrong. And we try to help them to discern between not just right and wrong, but truth and error and a, and a host of other things. Our goal is to rear them in such a way so that when they reach an accountable age, that they will make wise and prudent decisions, that they will be obedient. Now listen to what Paul said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children have the responsibility of honoring what their parents say insofar as it coincides with the teaching of Almighty God. But listen to what Paul said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. As a parent, we talk about some of the pitfalls and dangers that our children face in this world. And there are a lot of them. Drugs, so readily available. And I have seen countless numbers of young people that have gotten caught up in the drug culture. And I can tell you right now, that is a dead-end street. I've seen young folks that have ruined and marred their lives by the consumption of alcohol. No wonder Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. 
I have seen young people that had no problem stealing from other people. They don't have a problem taking the possessions of another person. They don't have a problem sleeping around, engaging in premarital sexual activities. So when we talk to our children about what's right and wrong, we want them to make the right decisions. But listen to me, please, very carefully. We want our children to make the right decisions to be obedient because it is right, because it's the right thing to do. Why don't you drink? Because it's right not to drink. Why is it that you don't sleep around? Because it's the right thing to do. To honor what God has said concerning the marital relationship and sexual relations outside of marriage. Why is it that we don't use various types of chemical substances and other forms of recreational drugs because it's wrong? And so what Paul is saying is, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. If we can get our children to the point where they make decisions because it's right or it's wrong, then we've done our job. We've done a healthy job. We've done a great job, haven't we? Now, I'm not so naive as to think that children are always going to do what's right. Adults don't always do what's right. But I can tell you this. If you willingly, knowingly do what's wrong, you will pay a heavy price for it. Paul said, honor your father and mother. And then he said, this is the first commandment with promise, that you may live long on the earth. There are young people at some point in time in their abbreviated life that didn't learn the lesson that Paul taught here about honoring their parents and doing what's right and obeying the will of God. You know where they are today? They are in eternity. Because their parents told them, do not, do not drink and drive. And guess what? They drank and drive. They were drinking and driving and got killed on the highway. There have been parents that have told their children, do not use any type of drugs. Children get caught up in the drug culture. They start smoking weed, and then they gravitate to other types of drugs, and before you know it, they got a real problem in life. You will never have a problem with something you don't try. But you try alcohol, you bring that into your life, and I promise you this, it will tear your life apart. It will destroy your life, it will destroy your body, it will destroy your mind, it will destroy your soul. You need to hear that. So you think about where you are as a parent. Are you pointing your children in the direction of heaven? As a young person, are you living in such a way so that one day you can be in heaven? Don't be fooled into this trap, well, I'm going to sow my wild oats right now, and then when I get older, I'll change. First thought that came to my mind was baloney. There are a lot of people that have had those intentions. Doesn't always work out that way. Don't think for a minute that you have the promise of tomorrow.
because you don't. And so, responsibilities in the home. Now, what we do in the home ultimately transcends out into the world, doesn't it? So there are responsibilities in the home, and then there are responsibilities outside the home. So with that in mind, pick up with me if you would in verse 5. Paul said, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And your masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. One of the real problems in the first century had to do with slavery. There were thousands upon thousands of slaves in the Roman Empire. If you have the time this week, this week go back and read the book of Philemon. It is a tremendous book. It centers around a man that had run away from his master, somehow came in contact with the Apostle Paul, converted to Christ, and so Paul sent him back to Onesimus. But he said, I'm sending him back no longer as a slave, but more so as a brother in Christ. There were a lot of problems in the ancient world one of which was slavery. And so when we talk about responsibilities outside the home, in the Roman Empire there were, as I said a moment ago, thousands of slaves. Do you know how slavery was ultimately overturned and abolished? I can tell you how. By the gospel. The gospel of Christ has the power to overcome all of the social injustices of this life. Do you believe that? There are folks in our world today, they are so caught up in the political arena and all of their faith is in Washington. I can tell you right now, you will never be able to produce enough legislation to somehow overcome the social injustices and prejudices of our world. You just can't do that. The only thing that can overturn that is the gospel of Christ. So when the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the first century, if they were a slave, you know what Paul said? I want you to be the best slave you can be. If you have, if you have slaves in your possession, you are a master. I want you to treat those slaves equitably, fairly, impartially. Why? Because you have a master in heaven. Ultimately, the gospel broke those walls down. Because, see, one of the things they learned is that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. That is, in Christ Jesus. Imagine this. You've got people that are masters and those who are slaves. And they both obeyed the gospel. And now they've been brought together in Christ. They're in the church of Christ and they're worshiping God. And you've got slaves and masters participating in worship together. What's that say about equality in Christ? Another problem in the first century, the plight of women. Treated as nothing more than merchandise. Women have always been the crown of God's creation. 
And what, what the gospel did was elevate women back to their rightful position in life. So what's the application? As an employee, you be the best employee that you can possibly be. You do your best when your boss is watching and when he's not watching. As an employer, as an employer you treat your employees fairly, equitably, impartially. You treat them like you would want to be treated. It's just common sense stuff. Now, there's a second thing I want to study tonight as we look at Ephesians 6. First, we talk about the affairs of a Christian. Secondly, the armor of a Christian. Now, what Paul's going to do is change gears. He's going to talk about what we face day by day in the world in which we live. The first thing that you need to understand as we talk about the armor of a Christian is that we are facing an enemy. In order to be successful, you need to know something about the enemy, don't you? So listen to what Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the methodology, the strategies of the devil. So to understand first and foremost that we are battling an enemy. And this enemy has been wrecking havoc upon the human family all the way back to the garden. That's where it all started for man. And so when we look at the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve, the one that brought about that fall was the devil. Now the Bible identifies the devil as the tempter in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. He is called the wicked one in Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. The enemy in Matthew 13, 39. Jesus identified him in John chapter 12, verse 31, as the prince or the ruler of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2. He is called the God of this age. And Jesus said regarding the devil that he is a murderer and a liar, John 8, verse 44. John characterized him as the deceiver of the whole world. So what about this enemy? Number one, he is dangerous. When I was just a boy, I remember my grandmother talking to me. My grandfather wasn't present on this occasion. And she was telling me about my dad's oldest brother. And she said that at this time my dad was a baby. And my grandfather had told my dad's oldest brother do not swim in a particular pond. It's dangerous. You don't need to be swimming there. Well, as we were talking just a moment ago about children listening to their parents, my uncle, my dad's brother, did not listen to my grandfather. He drowned. Just turned 15. What my grandfather tried to impress upon my uncle, that water's dangerous. You need to understand something about the devil. 
He is dangerous. He is dangerous and do not underestimate him. Paul talked about the wiles, the schemes, the methods of the devil. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you were out in the jungle, and let's just say that you are in a foreign country, and you're facing some very dangerous animals, would you be on guard? If your God told you, you need to understand something. The animals in this kingdom, they are dangerous. Let me tell you what, you got my attention. The devil's dangerous. He's not just dangerous, he is deceptive. And that's why he's so dangerous. The devil is the deceiver of the whole world. And he wants you to think that certain things are okay, acceptable, that they won't hurt you called the devil's lie. There are a lot of folks that have gotten caught up in the devil's lies. Let me give you a third attribute. Destructive. Wherever the devil goes, he always leaves a wake of destruction. Did you know that? He is the master destroyer. I mean, look around in our world tonight. I don't care if we're talking about young people or old people. Doesn't matter if we're talking about the rich, the poor, the white, the black. Doesn't matter. When you see individuals who are living, who are living in spiritual darkness, you are looking at the lives of people who are being destroyed. Some don't even know that. You know, Paul said. The wages of sin is death. The devil. Don't think for a minute he does not want to destroy you because he does. He is after your eternal soul. And he will do everything within his power to destroy you. I told you about an instance in my life Years ago, when I was just a young fella, fella I went to school with, worked with, a guy that if you knew him, you'd have said he's a good guy. Got messed up in drugs. OD'd. I remember getting the call that he had died. And I remember. I can remember as if it were yesterday, standing underneath a tent in the fall of the year, raining, cold, miserable weather, and we're putting this boy in the ground, and his daddy was crying his heart out, inconsolable. I can remember that as if it happened yesterday. I just imagine the devil. The devil would have been doing this. Got another one. If you lose your soul, the devil wins. Did you know that? He does. So, the enemy, but the equipment. 
You better be ready for battle. You better, you better be ready to bring it every day because I can tell you this, the devil's going to bring it. He will bring his best day in and day out. Did you know that? So listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, in light of our spiritual warfare, in light of the fact that we're at battle, at war, Paul said, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Will you stand and will you be able to withstand the advances of Satan? Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. Let me just pause there very quickly. Imagine a Roman soldier going out on the battlefield with no equipment on. That's a death sentence, isn't it? And what Paul is saying is, if you're not properly attired, equipped for battle, it is a death sentence. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, the various parts of armor, they're all connected to one source. You know what that one source is? The Word of God. Now listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. John said, little children, or these things I write to you, young men. In verse 14, John is identifying various classes of people. And he speaks to young men. And he said regarding those young men, he said, you're strong. Well, why are they strong? He said, because the Word of God abides in you. If you don't have the Word of God in your life, you will not be strong, spiritually speaking. Did you know that? John's saying, I'm writing to you, young men. Why? Because you're strong. And because the Word of God abides in you. And because of that, he said, you have overcome the wicked one. If you don't have a working knowledge of the Word of God in your life, you will not get out of this world successfully. That's what John's saying. That's what Paul's saying. So I want to ask you a question. In your fight with the devil, how are you doing? Are you winning? Are you on the losing end? Are you living as a faithful soldier of Christ. Didn't Paul say, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? The enemy's real. The equipment is necessary. And so the key is, let's make sure that we're ready for battle. Be a horrible thing to get killed on the battlefield, wouldn't it? Be a lot worse to die spiritually on the battlefield. I want to close tonight. I'm not going to look at our third point. Our time's gone. We'll come back to that later. But I want to close tonight by appealing to you. Please think about where you are spiritually. 
I mentioned a moment ago, we're losing a lot of, young, a lot of our young folks. That's a fact. And I think about our young people often. And I try to think about where they will be, where you will be down the road. My prayer is you'll be faithful. Statistically speaking, the real world, chances are some of you here tonight will not be faithful in 10 to 15 years from now. You'll be in the world. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. If I'm alive in 10 to 15 years, prove me wrong. You have decisions to make. Your mama can't make those decisions. Your daddy can't make those decisions. They can point you in the right direction, but it's on you. As a parent, I'd say this to our young folks. Nobody will ever love you like your mama loves you. Do you know that? There is nobody on earth that will ever love you like your mama does. She carried you for nine months. She brought you into this world, and you mean everything to her. And I tell you right now, she wants you to be in heaven. And if you miss heaven, You've missed it all. Talk about breaking your mama's heart. Don't miss heaven. Be faithful to God. The other night, Jared shared something with me. He was talking to Charlie. And he said, Charlie, please tell me, when you get old, that you'll love God. And here's what she said. I listened to it. I tell you, it melted my heart. Charlie said to her daddy, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of faith that we need. And that's from a five-year-old. So what about you? Will you be a person of faith? It's on you. It's on me. It is an individual thing. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, what would keep you from obeying the gospel? Is there one valid reason why you shouldn't obey the gospel tonight? I don't know of any. Do you? You believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you repent of your sins, confess His name, be immersed in water? If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. and You'll have the hope of heaven. And if you'll be faithful day in and day out, you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, you're not faithful to God. Let me tell you, the time to remember your creators when you're young. You get old like me, you get stuck in your ways, don't you? Don't allow the concrete to set. 
Make the changes that you need to make, whether young or old. Live for God day in and day out. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, we plead with you, please come home as we stand and sing.